Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. We're doing a solo one this week, guys. I couldn't connect with Justin. I texted him a little late, and we haven't done it in a couple weeks, so uh, he probably wasn't expecting to record tonight. Uh, But either way, we're going to do just a quick one uh, just to keep it rolling, and we're going to do Chapter 4. So we're only going to do one chapter today. And it's a good chapter. Uh, I really like this one. It's fast-paced, and we get to learn a little bit more about, like, the society of Spire Elbian and stuff like that. Um, But in lieu of Justin not being here, I just want to let you guys know and remind you that we've got a subreddit. You can check that out. We got a Twitter. We got – actually, I just started a Discord, so that's kind of cool. I organized it so that there's different chat rooms for different books and different uh, genres and stuff like that. I know we're we're really small right now, but um, if you check out either um, the YouTube channel, uh, the Reddit, or the Twitter, you should be able to find the link to the Discord. So you can chat about books and stuff in there. I'd love to chat with you. It's awesome. There's nobody in it right now, so you could be the first, which would be awesome. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's get to the book. So The Aeronauts Windless, Chapter 4, Spire Albion, Havel Morning. Summary. For Gwen, the following two weeks were absolutely dreadful. I really don't quite see the point of all of this, she panted. Her legs hurt. Her feet ached. Her chest felt as if it were on fire. All in all, she saw little reason for this running about the Spire Ark's manor, and they'd done so... Uh, they had done so for increasing amounts of time every single day during their training. It's good for you, Cousin Benedict said. He was a tall, lean young man, less than two years older than Gwen herself, with tawny brown hair cut into a soft, thick brush. He wore the same exercise uniform Gwen did, though he loped along, along beside her lightly without any apparent effort at all. There was no detectable strain in his voice, none at all, The rotten, cat-eyed, thoroughly disgusting lout. So we start the chapter right in the middle of a guardsman company PT sesh as Gwen and Cousin Benedict make their way through the Spire Ark's massive mansion. Um, And I like this because we feel like we're moving into the story now, uh, which is nice considering how, like, kind of stalled the last chapter was. It was kind of like just... we got some more characters, but there wasn't a really whole lot of movement. So this chapter just starts off. We're running. We're uh, seemingly a couple weeks into training with the Spire Arc Guard, which is pretty cool. The pair quip back and forth while they make their way through the with make their way along with the group, um, alongside the outer walls of the manor towards the courtyard. We get a nice little backhanded compliment from cousin benedict about how he sees gwen's improvement due to the fact that when she first started the physical regiment she could barely speak but now she has been complaining quite thoroughly all the while so that's pretty nice uh like she basically is like you can kiss my butt benedict and he's like well it is shaping up nicely and she's like what and he's like well when you first started you couldn't freaking talk at all like you were just uh you could barely even uh grunt you're breathing so hard you know what i mean like so it it was kind of funny so gwen and crew come to the end of their run and company captain cavallo orders them to halt and fall out the new recruits fall to the cinderstone floor in sweaty heaps while the veterans slowed to a relaxing stop grinning at the fatigued newbies so 
the way that this kind of works, um, I was looking it up on, uh, there's this website called Fandom, and it'll, and it's basically, it creates like little forums that you can have for anything that you want. Uh, in this situation, I was looking up the Cinderspires forum for Fandom, and I was like looking up the the, like the company Captain Cavallo in, in the Spire Arcs Guard and stuff, and apparently... Uh, they only allow about 40 people into the program a year. So, like, you know how the story starts off with Gwen leaving to join the guard and Bridget uh, deciding that she is going to do it as well, even though she's not technically part of a high house. So they they let in about 40 people a year to go through this uh, training, and there's usually 20 new recruits and 20 veterans. So it's kind of, like, mixed, which is kind of a cool way to – to organize that because you're always with people who have been there before or um, are it can kind of lead by example a little bit. So one of the vets, Reginald Astor, considers himself good looking and liked to gaze at Gwen, who saw it as annoying, annoyingly gawking. So there's a guy, there's a vet who really thinks highly of himself, uh, Reginald Astor, and he's got the hots for little Gwen here. She hates it because she's sitting here sweating her butt off and he's always just kind of looking over leering and stuff. And she thinks he's stuck up and all that, but whatever, you know, whatever. So we, we are getting introduced to another veteran. Benedict Riley offers to help protect his hapless little cousin, but Gwen knew this was her trial to deal with. Even if she would love to see the leering cad's ears get pinned back properly. Okay, I've heard that term before, getting your ears pinned back. I don't really know what that means. And, like, so, like, what, you're getting punched so it's pinned back? I I don't know. But, basically, she's complaining about it to Benny and, you know, Cousin Ben. And he's like, oh, do I need to help my little cousin? And she's like, nah, I got to deal with this. So, uh, when they get the rundown of the daily – oh, we then get a rundown of the daily training and classwork, which besides the physically exhausting activities included lessons on the various aspects of Spire Albion's government. So this is from the book. Cavallo lectured the, re- the recruits for several hours every afternoon about the various habbles, their laws, and their relationships with one another. And while her own tutors had long since given her a similar grounding, it seemed that they had left out a good many things out of their lessons, or at least they had never made any particular effort to bring the ramifications of all those dry facts to Gwen's attention, and she had found herself stammering like a perfect nitwit when confronted with them during the captain's lectures. So here we get some admission from from Gwen that she's not the all-star that she was expecting uh, herself to be. For the first time in her life, she realizes that she's going to have to make some effort. So being part of a high house allowed her to have things like tutors and, you know, special training and stuff like that. But obviously she's just not, uh, up to snuff, uh, or up to her own standards. So we're getting a little bit of humility from her, which is nice. It's a nice little character movement here. So Gwen contemplates on how her being less than competent in her training so far had subconsciously made her scared to deal with Reginald straight away. So that's interesting because she's feeling a little self-conscious. So w- normally, if there was some sort of, you know, um, pomped up dude 
gawking at her, she would just tell him off right away. But since he's a veteran, she's a new recruit, and she's not doing the best in, in the classes, and she's not the best at the training, um, you know, she's felt um, a little self-conscious. And so that's prevented her from actually doing something about this issue. So now she's thinking about that, you know, in in this book or in this chapter. She's thinking about that, and she's going to make a decision real quick about how she wants to go forward. So she decides then that she will confront Reggie and deal with him sooner rather than later. Taking some advice from a fellow recruit, Gwen allows some time to pass for more privacy as the other recruit uh, recruits and vets start to leave the area. So while she's there, she's kind of talking to uh, Cousin Benedict, and she's like, you know what, I'm going to actually tell this guy off right now. But one of the other recruits who's kind of like leaning against like one of the leaning against one of like the pillars or something's like, hey, you know, why don't you wait until there's a little more privacy? <laughs> because if you just go straight up and, uh, you know, call out this dude in front of everybody, it's going to be a bad look, especially since you're a new recruit. It's one thing to do it to a peer, but it's another thing for a new recruit to do it to a veteran, um, even if he is creepy, you know. So um taking uh so she took the advice um so let's see here taking some advice from fellow recruit gwen allows some time to pass while waiting gwen thinks of her personal improvement over the past two weeks of training and how running through the various levels of the spire which were enormous had started to show some results so we get an idea of okay so she's not just running through the spire arcs manner because at first i'm like so they're training is just running through the Spire Arcs Manor. Like, cool, dude. So, like, you're just running around this dude's house. Uh, but, no, apparently what they do is they go to the different levels of, of the Spire, which are enormous, and they run for, like, about an hour at a time. And um, she thinks about that, and and there's a nice little, like, section where she's, like, thinking about it, and she's like, you know, if we have to go up against like common thieves like we're gonna be in shape like i'm already feeling the results of this and like these thieves probably don't have um oh what's the what's the captain's name again they probably don't have captain cavallo like you know whipping behind them so she's gonna be in much better uh physical condition than the thieves and she's like and if they were self-starters they wouldn't have been thieves anyway so as most of the company moved back into the walled courtyard, Gwen sees Reggie with his cronies, but a girl catches her eye. To Gwen, this was the largest girl she had ever met, and describes her having shoulders as wide as some men. She couldn't remember her name, but the other recruits all referred to her, referred to the quiet young lady as the cat girl. So we're like, oh, dude, Bridgie's here. Bridgie's here with uh, Raoul, you know, the cat girl, right? So... Uh, this is from the book. The cat in question came scampering out of the courtyard and ran over to the large young woman. It was a ginger-colored beast and would have been quite appealing had it not been such a filthy creature. Cats lived in all the crawl spaces and vents and other unsavory, dank, vermin-infested regions of the spire as a matter of course. So here, we, here's where, we, uh, where Gwen meets Bridget and Raoul. And this is, well, not meets, but like we get her first impressions. Uh, and this is an excellent scene because as the audience, we get to see how Bridget's first impression uh, has made first impressions on other people. 
She's quiet. She keeps to herself and her and has a cat companion. So she's generally like a weird girl, you know. Uh, not only that, but we also get a taste of Gwen's opinion of cats in general, which apparently isn't highly regarded. So this chapter is from the perspective of Gwen, but we are meeting another main character. And it's interesting because she's saying things like um, the cat in question came scampering out like, OK, so this is like in her mind. She's not saying this, but um, it was a ginger colored beast. So like. Already we're getting this kind of downgrade of of, of this cat. You know, like she's referring to it as a beast. Um, she's also talking about how they normally, like they're disgusting and like dirty and they hang out in vermin infested regions and stuff. So you're already getting this kind of pompous attitude from Gwen about what her thoughts are on cats in general. I mean, cats are all around in this world or in this spire, but apparently not very highly thought of. So... We'll continue here. While examining Raoul and Bridget from afar, Gwen reveals some more info on how cats associate with society at large. Apparently, cats can be seen moving around the Habel and sometimes get adopted by a house or family. Some businesses exchanged food for their services as exterminators. But the cats of this world seem to have some respect uh, and not seen as unintelligent. We get some examples of this part of the chapter of consequences of not properly repaying felines for their services. So this is from the book. It was a much simpler arrangement than refusing to pay cats and then finding one's stores emptied out without a trace in the dead of night. She heard of cats who had been employed as tenders and guardians for young children, but such arrangements were almost always business-oriented. Gwen had never heard of a cat who showed affection. So we get a, a, a little bit more here about the cats. So like what I was saying earlier about how they're respected, uh, there's some respect for cats. They're not like completely respected, but they're not like normal cats. Like the cats in this world are intelligent and people recognize that and they use that to whatever advantage they can. Uh, for example, you know, like businesses hiring them to kill rats and stuff like that for them. But then obviously they are somewhat intelligent because if you don't pay them correctly, they'll just steal all the stuff out of your store in the middle of the night. Don't matter. You didn't pay them. So, I mean, they're not there to protect. So it was cool. This is interesting because immediately following that, we get a scene of Raoul showing affection and love with Bridget reciprocating by absentmindedly running her fingers through Raoul's fur. So we were talking about how Gwen had never heard of a cat who showed affection. Uh, and now we've got this, you know, large girl with a cat companion, the cat girl, and the cat's just loving on her. And it's cool, you know, but it's not something that is normal. It's cool for us, not cool for Gwen. Now with the area sufficiently cleared out, we hear from and get our first impression of bad boy Reggie and one of his cronies discussing what they think of cat girl Bridget. So we're starting off with uh, crony number one. What I want to know, said one of Reginald's group, is what precisely that vermin is doing loose about the manor. It's quite unnatural, Reginald agreed. He folded his arms and regarded the cat girl speculatively, speculatively. It makes one wonder what could motivate a reasonable person to shelter such a pest. So they are smarmy jerks. Not because of their opinions 
uh, but because they are purposely saying out loud. And remember, we just got Gwen's perspective on cats, and she doesn't. And her perspective is pretty much in line with Reginald's and his his group. But she keeps it to herself. She keeps her her opinions to herself and is not rude about it. Whereas these guys are just coming out straight up saying it. Obviously, we need some conflict, so that's what's going to happen. But it's they're jerks. So Bridget hears this and looks right at Reggie and gives him a big smile, to which he asks her what reward she gains by having the beast nearby. She simply states that he wouldn't understand, which causes a round of chuckles from the young nobles near, near enough to hear it at the expense of Reggie. He asks her, really? And why is that? So now we got a little bit of a challenge here. Uh, people laughed at him. So, okay, why, why would you say I wouldn't understand that? This is from the book. It's awesome. Bridget frowned thoughtfully for a moment, choosing her words with deliberate care. Then she nodded slightly to herself and said calmly, Because you are an ass, sir. Had the cat girl slapped him across the face, she would have not drawn a more startled reaction from the young noble. So this is a big deal. Reggie's a veteran recruit, and for a lowly new recruit like Bridget to speak to him, this way is a bad look for her, but inexcusable to him. He, I, I just thought it was, I, I thought it was just funny. He's an ass and, you know, quiet girl just says it, you know, she smiled to herself and she's like, yeah, you wouldn't understand, bro. And he's like, why is that? Well, because, uh, yeah, you're a big butt. Anyway, she then goes off on him. So now she's riled up all while adding sir at the end of each remark. So she's being very... <laughs> not polite but proper about it she's telling him what's up sir this and that sir you know re, you know keeping in mind that she is a low recruit and that he's a veteran and it's almost like a it's like a kind of a, a double slap there where you're telling him off and then you're also reminding him like dude you're a veteran you shouldn't be like this so reggie butts in to remind her that she can't talk to him that way but apparently she can and does Finally, he snaps with anger and uh, and Bridget uh, that she shouldn't even, oh, and says to Bridget that she shouldn't even be here, that she's from a dead house and herself and her father are the last few scraps of meat clinging to a rotten bone. Oof. Oof. So that strikes a nerve. It was a little too harsh, but also true. Bridget doesn't really have to be there, but because she promised her father, Franklin Tagwin, duty-minded and allied with uh, Clan Chief Maul, she decided to be brave and perform her duty honorably. So now we need to make a little uh, digression here. In the last episode, I remember saying that Franklin was the bloodthirsty admiral of the Spire Arcs Armada. But I was incorrect. Uh, it was her great-great-grandfather who was, and now Bridget and Frankie are all that is left with House Tagwin. And I found this out from the Cinder Spires fandom page. I'm going to pull this up just so you can see what I'm talking about. And I'm going to read from it because I think it's important to just kind of point out. So I'm going to pull this up for the viewers at home. But what we're looking at is the fandom page for the Cinder Spires. And we're specifically looking at the post for Franklin Tagwin. Franklin Tagwin is the owner of a meat battery and is Bridget's father. And one of the last two members of House Tagwin. And I was like... Oh, one of the last two members of House Tagwin. What's up with that? And um, apparently, 
Where is it? Okay, so Franklin seems to have led a fairly uneventful life. He is descended from Admiral Tagwin. And I was like, Admiral Tagwin? I thought he was. So let's check out Admiral Tagwin. The great-great-grandfather of Bridget Tagwin is still a legendary admiral from Spire Albion. So this guy, Admiral Tagwin, was important in the past. And I was like, how did I mess that up? So I went back into the chapter, chapter 3, and let's take a look here. Um, let me go to chapter 3. Here it is. Okay, so chapter 3, it looks like it's on the first page of chapter 3, so page 34. Um several paragraphs down this is what she says she hadn't asked to be born to the lineage of some overachieving bloodthirsty fleet admiral admiral no matter how respected a role he played in the history of spire albion i had mistaken that to mean that she was talking about her dad but she was actually talking about her great great grandfather and her dad's just making an honest living you know there's nothing um he's just a vattery dude which is fine but you know like they're built, you know, they, they have, they still have that blood. You know what I mean? That, uh, that blood of the great Admiral or whatever. And so I just thought that was, I just wanted to, uh, mark that for the record so that we can go forward knowing what her, her bloodline is. I think it's important because of how Bridget reacts coming up here very soon. So back to the story at hand. Uh, Reginald had basically just spit on House Tagwin. And we get this great moment from Bridget, the cat girl who kept to herself over the past few weeks of training. She is about to have a defining moment. Uh, does she just insult? Uh, does she just accept the insult and lay down in submission? Let's read. Something shifted. Gwen couldn't tell precisely what had happened, but the air was suddenly thick. Bridget's face never moved. Her eyes didn't narrow nor did she bare her teeth. She said nothing. She did not so much as twitch a muscle. She only stared at Reginald. It was the cat, Gwen realized. The beast's eyes seemed to have grown larger, and the very tip of his long tail began to flick left and right in slow rhythm. The cat stared at Reginald as if he were preparing to spring upon him with murder in mind. When Bridget spoke, her voice was hardly louder than a whisper. "'What did you say about my father?' Now, this is the great bloodline of House Tagwin right here. It's bubbling up. The, the, bloodline, the bloodline is bubbling up to the surface, and suddenly we get a cool and confident response, uh, which from Bridget is just so badass. I'm suddenly imagining her. Like, she is embodying that fleet admiral, you know, sense. Like, that's coming from inside her, and I'm just, like, imagining... You know, years from now, she's running her own vessel and she's leading her own like fleet and she's bringing uh, House Tagwin back up to uh, the, its former glory, you know, just like uh, GG Granddad, you know. But before things can escalate too far, Gwen sees this, uh, sees that the confrontation is going south fast. So she hurries over to Gwen. And we learn that in, in this society, these types of arguments lead to duels, which were possibly deadly given the tempers of the duelists. And Gwen could see that Bridget was walking right into a face-off with a practiced duelist. And um, they had mentioned in the book that, that Reggie, he knows how to duel. I mean, he may not be the best of the best, but he knows how to do... He's a veteran. He knows how to handle the sword. He knows how to handle the gauntlet. 
Um, and, you know, as far as we know, we're only two weeks into training. There is no way Bridget knows how to handle a gauntlet. There's no way Bridget has the ability to sword fight and stuff. I mean, she's big, but, I mean, that's what she's got going for her. Right now, she's just um, defending the honor of her, of her house, but it's not looking good. So Gwen beats them to the punch and grabs Bridget's attention by asking for introductions as if nothing was happening at all. Gwen recognizes the Tagwin name and attempts to cool tensions by reciting what a pivotal role her house played in the war years ago. So she rolls up and she's like, oh, hi, I don't think I've actually been introduced. What's your name? And she's like, Bridget Tagwin. And, and she's like, oh, Tagwin, like Admiral Tagwin. He did this, this and this. Oh, that's cool. And she's like, yeah, the very same. Like, not sure if she should be annoyed, but she ends up being kind of like, yeah, thanks for that. You know, of reminding this guy who the F I am, even though I'm a low house or whatever. So Reggie disrespects Bridget again, and the two start uh, another back and forth, which leads to Reginald pulling out his gauntlet and throws it at Bridget's face. So side note here, we learn that Reggie is of House Aster, which is funny because when when uh, Reggie says to Bridget, how dare you speak to the face of House Aster like that, Bridget responds with, not its face, its ass. And it's like, hell yeah, Bridget! Oh, man, it just made me laugh. It was just good. And it's like, you know, Reginald Astor is an ass. It, it's just, you know, play on words, but it's awesome. So Gwen steps in and grabs the man's gauntlet midair, this thing that's flying at Bridget's face, even though she's just standing still being all cool admiral moment here. She grabs the gauntlet midair, telling him no, that he started it. Now we get into the complexity of the duelist rule set and how integrated it is inspire Albion's society. I'm going to read this one straight from the book because uh, it explains a lot in a small amount of time. So let's pull up the book again. And for those of you following along, uh, we are on page 49 and it's a few paragraphs down. So from the book, stay out of this Gwendolyn. I demand satisfaction. His furious gaze went back to Bridget. Unless the famed courage of House Tagwin has dwindled away to nothing along with its bloodline. Bridget frowned, or Bridget's frown deepened, and her mouth opened slightly. She glanced aside at Gwen and said, Miss Lancaster, did this man just challenge me to a duel? Hardly a man, Gwen replied. She looked up and met Bridget's eyes. And yes, he did. Uh, Lun uh, yeah, and yes, he did. Lunatics, Bridget breathed. Must I accept? If you don't, Gwen said, he can litigate. The council could assess a punitive fine against House Tagwin. Could, Reginald said. Would. I guarantee the high houses rule harshly against such a display of disrespect to one of the leading houses of Albion. Bridget looked at Gwen again. Is that true? Courts are never certain, Gwen said. But it probably is. But I never insulted the Astors, only him. He's their heir to their house, I'm afraid, Gwen said. The council may not make that distinction. Bridget closed her eyes for a moment and muttered beneath her breath. When will I learn to keep my mouth shut? So... <laughs> 
apparently you can get fined for making fun of the rich people. Uh, the It's too bad, but it, it is really interesting because Bridget went off without even realizing what possibly could happen. And this kind of surprises me because her being, well, I guess it doesn't. You know, she's not actually a high house. They used to be her great-great-grandfather, so it only makes sense. Like, I don't know what my great-great-grandfather, like, his thoughts on, you know, society and how to respect one another. You know, I don't I don't know what he did or, um, you know, how he would feel about things. So I guess it does make sense that, um, you know, being part of a battery in House Tagwin, she wouldn't really know. So... Yeah, this looks like it could turn out bad. If if you duel someone, uh, you can be fined. And it doesn't matter if you're just uh, insulting a person. You're actually insulting the whole house, apparently. So uh, this is more than just a fight at the flagpole. There are real consequences for duels. And if Bridget gets fined, that might force her father to sell the battery. Reginald gives her one chance to apologize and forget the matter but Bridget declines, picks up the gauntlet, and accepts the duel. Going straight to business, Reggie appoints his friend Barnaby as his second and announces that her second should contact him to iron out the details, then turns heel and marches away. So we end that conflict. We got a second from Reggie, and Bridget's just kind of left in the dust going, what did I just sign up for? So after a moment, Bridget turns to Gwen and reprimands her for making things worse. Gwen is perplexed by this. How did she make things worse? We get some insight from her in, uh, on the struggling relationship between high houses and low high houses. So from the book, basically, Gwen turns to, to, or Bridget turns to Gwen and is like, well, thanks for making things worse, bro. And she's like, what do you mean make things worse? I was helping you out. And now we're going to get from the book Bridget's point of view, even though like we are... We are in Gwen's point of view for this chapter. We get to see how her actions are affecting the other characters. And I think it's really good. So that's why I wanted to read it straight from the book. Here we go. I didn't ask for your help. When you got involved, his idiot pride was at stake. He was forced to start defending the honor of the House Aster for fear of showing weakness to a Lancaster. Bridget shook her head. If you weren't there, all I had to do was stop talking. It would have left him with nowhere to go. I was trying to help you, Gwen said. Bridget rolled her eyes. Why do all you people in the high houses think that you are the only ones who can possibly manage matters that are none of your bloody business? Did you even consider the fact that I might not want your interference? This stops Gwen in her tracks. She hadn't seen what she had done in that way, but Bridget was right. Not only was Reginald trying to uphold his honor in front of an audience, but he is also in like with Gwen. So, of course, he's going to puff out his chest. She had unwittingly, unwittingly set fire to a situation she had thought she was putting out. And then the chapter concludes with Gwen agreeing with Bridget, you know, thinking about it and, you know, like, you may be right here. Uh, you know, not, not saying sorry, but, like, I see what you're saying. And that it wasn't her place to step in but she hasn't the faintest clue on how duels work. So she's going to help new party member added. So we got Gwen and Bridget working together 
and yeah so basically how it ends is like do you even know how duels work and she's like no like is it that big that important she's like okay i'm gonna help you out i kind of caused this i'm gonna help you out and that's chapter four so what did we think about this chapter um i really like the flow of the chapter we start with some lighthearted banter between cousin benny and gwen we establish some passing some time passing with how training is going and we get a bigger picture of the social structure of spire albion learning about cats duels and house hierarchy and then we get a little uh, catharsis from bridget standing up for herself and her house but it comes with consequences this chapter really nails home the fact that every decision these characters make is going to have a bigger effect it doesn't meander it feels like it's moving fast and i like the pace the ending makes you want to just jump into the first few pages of the next chapter to see where things are headed it's a it's really wonderful writing like i was reading this and i was like man i wish i could write like this this is really good they kind of tie a lot of things or jim butcher ties a lot of things together in a very short amount of time you get a really good sense of how um, the hierarchy is and how high houses think they're better than everybody else and um and I, and we really like seeing bridget stand up for herself again i thought it was really freaking cool that she kind of snaps but when she snaps she doesn't go crazy she doesn't go wild she becomes cool collected and very laconic you know like very i'm going to tell you exactly what's up and calls the dude an ass and now she could get fined if she doesn't follow through with a duel so um yeah i'm looking forward to the next chapter and we'll get uh justin back on uh so yeah if you guys want to check out justin's stuff um he is uh let's see here you know he's got books and stuff like that which is good that you can check out check it out in the links in the description below but yeah he's got a youtube channel as well that you can check out called the balding plebs which is fun um i'll just show you right here here's his channel the balding plebs and um yeah it actually looks like he's live right now monster card opening can we get some epic rares well let's check in on our really special cards that's all i care about justin that's all we're gonna be looking at tonight i i had contacted him too late so like he had sent me a text when i was just starting the podcast or whatever so let's let let's tell him hi guys the book club hi lads hi this is three collectors boosters of so he does like video games icoria uh, he does anime Let's he go. does um uh pack number one and now he's doing record, cards which is pretty fun like i used to play magic the gathering back in the day lads, and he's opening up cheap. looks like he's opening up some magic stuff oh there's our uh, boy justin you feel my money dwindling uh no <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Random Book Club Podcast. Cat. We can pretend like Justin's part of this. I'm going to put him Almighty Brushwag, Day Squad um, Marshall. Keep let's safe. close him out. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, thanks for joining me on this kind of solo run. I, it was a little weird not having someone to bounce off of, but hey, we do what we do. You know what I'm saying? And uh, read up on Chapter 5. I think I think we'll go through and we'll start doing these kind of shorter episodes. Um so that they're easier to consume rather than the hour long ones or whatever, but whatever. Um, Catch you guys on the next one and see you then.